Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Do you think God knew what he was doing when he created podcasts? Huh? No shit. I really want to know. Or do you think it was another one of his minor mistakes like tidal waves, earthquakes, floods? You think women are all like that? Fuck. I fucked up the... I'm going to reset. I have to replace the same word four times. Okay, ready? Yeah, I'm ready. And I can improve the I believe it or Go not, ahead. I okay. can improve the impression. The idea is I'm gonna cut out that last take. Yes. Cut it okay. out. Absolutely no one is hearing this, Ben. All right. And not I'm even making, at the end of the episode. I'm making a note of this right now. Yeah. Nowhere. Not as a bonus, nothing. All right. Okay, ready? Do you think God knew what he was doing when he created podcasts? Huh? No shit. I really wanna know. Or do you think it was another one of his minor mistakes like tidal waves, earthquakes, floods? You think podcasts are like that? Smatter. Yeah. Yeah. You don't think God makes mistakes? Of course he does. We all make mistakes. Of course, when we make mistakes, they call it evil. And when God makes mistakes, they call it nature. So what do you think? Podcasts, a mistake, or did he do it on purpose? You're really getting into a groove when you hit when you hit like nature. I know. You're really getting into a jack groove. That's why I wanted a long quote. And I, for the listener at home, I felt like my hand gestures were very. very I had the very timing good. of the hand thrusts. It was really beautiful. Here, something else. Thank you. I just want to say. Do you say, really um, think? Yeah. Well, um, I lost it. I, I just I just I looked it, at yeah. the spreadsheet, and uh, Hims apparently is a sponsor this week, so you can bring Jack out. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't control who walks into this studio <laughs> to right. interrupt our All ads. Right. I I'm it's not going to call it. I don't have his number. The amount of t- the amount of times Jack has pitched uh, hair cream and uh, Viagra on our show. Oh yeah. yes, no, of course. It makes total sense for you to complain about one of Hollywood's brightest star doing free ad reads for us, unprompted. Anyway. What anyway. what a hard life you live, David. Should we all have three-time Academy Award winners pitching boner pills and hair loss? Pro he's won, bono. He's won three. <laughs> he's won three. He's won three. There are two. Can you name the three? No, I, I apparently oh, not. That's a good question. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see what your three guesses would be. I'll give you this hint: two leads, one supporting. Yeah. Was one of them Reds? Incredible. Nope. Um, rudely. Great guess. Well, then Great I don't guess. fucking care. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the answer, then. I guess that is the uh, He was and- incredibly hot in that film. He deserved mm-hmm. an Oscar for it. And uh, so I don't care what bullshit they came up with. But no, tell me. I mean, I'm curious. In terms um, of endearment, well, supporting. Yep. Oh, I accept that. Sure. Why One not? Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest lead. Oh, I can't believe I forgot that. Uh, as good as it gets, lead. He won for yep. two separate James L. Brooks movies. I think he should have won for The Shining. You know, I mean, but whatever. You know, look, it's not. It's not up it's to weird. me. I mean, you're never going to win for your weirdest... best work. It's fine. Well, but I he... mean, with how things are going next year, it might be up to you. I, I don't know what the Oscars are going to look like in 2021. <laughs> it very well could be up to you. It could be up to any of us. I would love a couple of facts for it to be up to me. 
I, a couple facts just want to swing in with. He sure. lost the Reds Oscar to John Gielgud for Arthur, which yeah. is a weird win. Yeah. Ew. And and why do we even he fucking was talk not, about the Oscars? This is exactly why they pissed uh, me some, off. Some, Arthur? The, the 80s, there's a bunch a of that. And like Ameche oh, winning for Cocoon. There was a lot of like, let's give it to an old timer for like their 18th best performance this decade because it makes us feel sentimental. The 80s were a rough time for the the Academy. They just fucking lost their minds. What is it? 79 is Melvin Douglas wins for being there. And they were like, oh, that made us feel good to give it to an old guy right before he dies. And then they start just doing it too They hard. do it a lot. They're like, Gilgood, yeah. Ameche, everyone gets one. Um, the other thing I want to know is that he wasn't Nicholson was not nominated for Witches of Eastwick, obviously. No. Of course, he was because he was nominated that year for Ironweed. Mm-hmm. Oh, fair, I guess. I haven't seen it, um, but I've heard of it. Which I've all I've also never seen. It's Hector Babenko, right? But uh, um, I know the book. I guess so. That was like that was like uh, his Oscar nominee, right? They were like, you get you get both. So I'm going to bring up a thread that I don't know if I will be able to resolve by the end of this episode, but I'm going to try. Okay. Okay. On the subject that we're talking about. Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson in 1987 Mm. gets the Ironweed nomination. That becomes his Oscar horse over Witches of Eastwick. Even though his Witches of Eastwick performance was widely adored and praised. What kind of horse is an Oscar horse? Probably Palomino. Got it. (laughs) the New York Film Critics Circle did split his Best Actor award. They gave him Best Actor that year and they gave it to him for Ironweed, Witches of Eastwick, and and of course his third leading performance, Broadcast News. (laughs) (laughs) That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Now this is the thread I don't know if I'm going to be able to resolve. Unsurprisingly, during self-quarantine, I've been spending even more time than usual looking up uh, uh, award season ephemera, different nominations to be, and awards. To be from clear, he's guilds. he's very funny in broadcast news. I he love him. Not a lead it's, performance. It's, great, it's just it's no. They just tossed it in. Agreed. They were like, well, agreed. why not acknowledge it? You know, sure. Well, that's the thing. Okay, and you've talked about this in the past, David. That uh, this last year, New York Film Critics Circle gave Best Supporting Actress to Laura Dern, and they split it for Little Women. And yeah, they, 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 they throw it to the room. Yeah. It's like, should we acknowledge both? And you made the joke. Do we want to acknowledge Cold Pursuit as well? Uh, I did. I this did. is the thread. And, I and, don't know if I can resolve. I swear to God, I sometime booed. in the last week while Googling too many things, I came across an even more egregious example of this, where a third performance was lumped in and ended up getting an award that you would think never got an award ever. And I'm de- I'm determined to try to find it by the end of this episode because I wanted to mention it at some point on a blank check. It is something more insane than Jack Nicholson technically winning Best Actor for Broadcast News. I will figure out okay. what it is by hook or by crook. Okay. I love this journey you're on. I'm on a real journey of self-discovery, and I think I will find myself the moment I find this answer. I just, I just got to say, I think it was very insightful for Witches of Eastwick to be to be, uh, you know, nominated, noticed, to win, yeah. to win. I mean, he won. The movie didn't win, but... but No, and I think he New got York. a, a Golden Globe nomination as well because it was, you know, they were able to nominate him both comedy and in drama. But I feel no, like... No, no Globe, no. What? No. None? 
Well, okay, None. but who are those people? Like, we're not even gonna talk. Again, I'm not talking about the up. HFPA right now. No, I mean, it's why would we real, ever? It's, I'm not acknowledging those goons. We're not doing that. They what? are goons. That, that does uh, but no, feel the only bizarre. acting awards he won were the Critics Awards and a Saturn. Jeez. Well, good for Saturn. Good that for Saturn. Like such a slam dunk for the Globes to give him best actor in a comedy for this. It the is Globes so completely insane. snubbed it. Weird. Is it weird? I mean, it's the Globes, right? This is why we should never oh, you're talk right. about let me Let me redact my previous statement. Normal. Pretty normal. Yeah, pretty Mozart normal. Actually. in the jungle, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, Exa- yeah, yeah. I mean, so exactly. Right? Can I can I say something I maybe shouldn't say very quickly? Oh boy, I okay. love it. Yeah, let's do it. Th- this is me saying something I shouldn't say about someone who is fully canceled, so it doesn't really matter. I heard through my adjacency to all of this uh, that there was an Amazon executive who loudly told people that they were going to win best comedy at the Golden Globes three years in a row before the first year that they had won Best Comedy at the Golden Globe. Sure. There, there's, right, there's, there's... It's a cabal. There's ways to win a Golden Globe. But it was, it yeah. was like, I'm, yeah. I promise you, just wait and see, we're winning the next three years. And it was like, first season of Transparent, first season of Mozart okay. in the Jungle, and then there was a fucking right. third one that I'm... A third, first season of Maisel. Maisel. Here's what I want to say to you, Griffin. One, introduce okay. the show. Two, then I want to talk to you about the Golden Globes this year. Okay. Okay? Okay. Sure. Okay. Introduce well, the show, but then we're we're going right to the 1988 Golden Globes. I can't oh, wait. Can't wait. Because look, I'm Griffin. Yeah, I'm David. And this is Blank Check with Griffin and David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. I feel like my <laughs> yeah, jack's been exactly. better in the past. Um, yeah. This is a mini series on the films of George Miller. It is called Mad Pod Fury Cast. And today we're talking about Witches of Eastwick, which is ostensibly the only four hire film he ever took. It is the only film that he did not develop himself where he did not have complete control because he's very much a man who kind of wrote his checks by just having, I mean, starting out in his own country and his own industry, independent financing, even when his films got bigger. It's always sort of been the deal of I'm bringing my own financing to the table and you don't get to tell me anything. And this is the one time that he was playing with the house's money. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting film for that reason. And our guest today for Vanity Fair, returning to the podcast for the second time, the great Cam Collins, a.k.a. Austin Collins. Happy to be here. here. I mean, we're not here, you know, I'm in my I'm I'm in my, you know, my bubble. In your we should mention we're in box, yes. wildly different rooms. Wait, I'm in a room with Vin just... Diesel. David is in a room with the poster for Witches of Eastwick, and Cam is I against have, a brick I have, wall. I have a brick wall behind me. Yeah. But I, I just can we for a second. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's a film about three witches. Mm-hmm. There's three of us. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell me, tell me who's who. What, what was your plan? Who do you? Who do oh, you? Oh boy. Because Ben question. is definitely Daryl, so just that's oh, for sure. You know that's handled. <laughs> yeah. So so the of right. the witches. Ben's got big Van Horn energy. 
I think mm, this is I hard. Think Cam is share. Oh, I, I think so too. Love you for saying that. I mean, they're I, all right answers as far as I'm concerned. They're all great. You can't they're all great. Here. That was David, an amazing I think, thing to say. I think, I think I'm Susan surrounded. and you're Michelle. Great. Yeah. Great. Great. I think we're all really happy with how this shook out. No, I, right. That was perfect. I th- I, I no disagreement. I think, no. I think that's indisputable. All three of yeah. those are indisputable. Yeah. Here's what I wanted to say about the Golden Globes this year. Golden which Globes. ignored this movie, which I assume was submitted as a comedy, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we can yeah. all agree. Yeah. The comedy field that year was pretty darn incredible. Okay. Here are the five best picture comedy nominees. Okay. The winner is John Borman's Hope and Glory, which I guess is a comedy. That's sort of like a serious comedy. You've already lost me. So, thesis yeah, has dramedy. already fallen apart. So, yeah. no, okay. yeah. <laughs> that, so that, that, that got snuck in. Uh-huh. You know, that's Oscar yeah. nonsense. Okay. okay, fine. But then here are the others. Dirty Dancing. Mm. Okay. Broadcast News. Mm. Moonstruck. Oh, wow. And, okay, and then the fifth is Baby Boom, which is not a bad movie. But Baby Boom's a pretty good movie. No. uh, That's the one that's a little bit of a stretch. Not Hope and what's it called? Yeah. Hope and Glory? Come on. Hope and Glory's all right. You know, boy, growing up during World War II. I'm here to talk about Witches of Eastwick, and I would absolutely choose... I mean, right? Yeah. Okay. Just, I'm, just right. so we're clear. It's just like sometimes, sometimes you look at the globe lineup and you're like, no, oh you my don't god, like salmon fishing in the Yemen. I'm just saying, like this was the year of Moonstruck and broadcast news, and then Dirty Dancing, biggest movie of the year. Or no, good, good for them for those. Sure. As I continue to search for this, I just want to point out that the LA Film Critics Association also split. Yeah. With. Mm-hmm. Witches of Eastwick and Ironweed for Best Actor didn't do broadcast yeah. news. This is not no. the one I was looking for. I'm going to continue searching while giving this podcast my all. But I want to point out that in 2011, L.A. gave Best Actor to Michael Fassbender for A Dangerous Method, Jane Eyre, yeah. Shame, yeah. and X-Men First Class. <laughs> all four. That kind of rules. Yeah, sure. That, that's I mean, a low-key uh, bot. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. You know what? You know what? You know what? There's, worse, there, there's, there's worse things happening. Right. There are. I yeah. can name a couple things going on in the world yeah. today that are worse than when <laughs> nine years ago, the LA Films critics gave one-fourth of an award. That was quite a year for him. Good for him. That was, right? I mean, you kind of that you was That no was his, like, Jessica Chastain He would be an interesting Daryl in a remake. I don't know hmm. who the witches would be. He could be a Daryl. Have you seen 12 Years a Slave, my friend? Okay. I have. Yeah. Right. right. No. He, the literal he, devil. I mean, he's got. Yeah. Right. He's <laughs> got the energy. I'm trying to think. When is he funny? Like. That, see, that's my only hold up. Funny? That's what I'm. When he's is Fassie funny? He's funny in Inglorious Bastards. He is funny in Inglorious Bastards. Thank you for answering because I was stumbling there. I was stumped. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one that that speaks to me. Uh, like he he gets his thing. Hilarious and hunger. <laughs> Bubba oh, shit. you're right. <laughs> you're. I mean, well, Fish I just tank. I love bathroom humor. Fish you tank. know me. Yeah, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hunger. The first act is one long poop joke. I think okay, shame Griffin, you want to say something inadvertently funny. I just want to say yes. Ben Ben is right now remotely recording. I agree with that. Ben is right now remotely recording uh in an attic where there is no heat 
and he has a blanket draped around him, and he looks like he's in the movie Hunger. Like he looks oh, like. He does. Yeah, it's because the blanket too is like an old ratty green blanket. Yeah, oh, you, right. you look like Bobby Sands. You just look the, like yeah, the Troubles, just in an he image. He looks like he's he's amidst the Troubles, and he's in a confined this, space. Right. The, the walls the are closing too. in on him. Like everything's angled around him. <laughs> It's quite an image. And he's also, it's green. Both the blanket and his ski cap are green. The ski cap is really what makes it. It's just yeah. so, it's, it's, it's all just, over It's twist. a look. Like, honestly, if I tilted the uh, computer down, like the camera, and I was like around a trash can on fire, <laughs> you wouldn't even be surprised. <laughs> that is my vibe currently. Wow. Man. This is a good year for movies. 87 is a hot year. I'm sorry. The year that and I was just born. like, yeah. just, just. Hey, hey, that's why. Can we go through the top 10 of the box office? Because I, I didn't spoil uh, this film's box office performance, but I did quickly glimpse that it was in the top 10 for this year. This is one of the top 10 good highest person films of 87. Good choice. And this is a big year. I mean, this is RoboCop also comes out this year. Right. The greatest of all American films. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah, you had the the top movies. I mean, Three Men and a Baby, number one. Okay. But you do have Fatal Attraction, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Good Morning Vietnam, Moonstruck, the fifth highest grossing movie of the year. Share on goddamn fire in 87. And then you got The Untouchables, Secret of My Success, Stakeout, Lethal Weapon, which is of Eastwick. But there's a lot of other good movies. Good for this the is right, like you say. I, yeah. I just yeah, wanted to definitely. say. Um, I, I one of my favorite hobbies is reading reviews from when the Untouchables came out and feeling depressed because all <laughs> the reviews are like, "Yeah, you know, it's like disposable popcorn trash," and you're like, "It's a De Palma movie written by David Mamet with a Morricone score that has an homage to Battleship Potemkin in it," and everyone at the time was like, "You know, it's like fluff," and right. Kevin Costner is kind of good in it. Everyone's yeah. kind of good in it. Good year. Here's uh, some year other that I was born. 87 movies. Yeah, keep going. Raising Arizona. Mm-hmm. You, good you, for you us. got you got uh what's it called? Uh the John Sales uh made made a one. Matt one. Matt one. Evil yeah. Dead 2. Mm. Full Metal oh. Jacket. Mm. You got oh. Swimming to Cambodia. Yeah. Uh you got Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark. Oh. Good for oh, us. Man. A lot of blank check movies. I mean, it's interesting how many yeah. filmmakers were either cresting or debuting right around this time. And then, you know, your best picture winner that year is The Last Emperor, which I feel like, where is that on the sort of, you know, where do people, I love I that movie. I watched that, uh, like, within the last three years, and um, I'm not surprised no one mentions it, but it's not bad. Right. I've never seen it. I feel like it gets thrown into the sort of the Gandhi bucket of like, oh, it's that's like like Gandhi. out of Africa. Don't exactly yeah. like like the sort of prestige Oscar movies, but like it's much much better than it's that. Better it's a beautiful that. movie. It's, it's, it yeah, also, it's better than that. Not having seen it, but my perception of its reputation is that it was seen as a far more sort of like esoteric international yeah. uh, movie than Gandhi, which is such a Hollywood version of an international story. Well, look, first of all, Ben Kingsley can play any ethnicity he wants. And He's I, su- got the I support that. He's got the uh, past. Yeah. He, I mean, if, even if he didn't have the past, he, 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 he did it and he did it. And good for He's him. He's earned the past. He, yeah. he has, right. He's yeah. shown good example. Yeah. You know, yeah. Gandhi, we're not going to do that last emperor, but it's also not like Amadeus to me. 
Like there are things well, yes, about Last that's Emperor fair. that right. feel sure. like, yeah, this is what we're calling Oscar bait of that moment. Whereas like Amadeus to me is like uh, just weird, just a weird movie, a weird. Well, I mean, comical. you know what else is what? weird? What is weird? The Witches, uh, the of, Witches Eastwick? of Eastwick. I've this never is what heard I want of to that. say. <laughs> okay, so we'll fill you in, Cam. Um, I love that I'm share. I just want to. You're, you know, of course, you're I'm definitely share. There's no disagreement. Everyone in this movie is is hot. Like everyone in this movie is peak hot. Yeah, especially Richard yes. Jenkins. I said um, everyone. Everyone. Yeah. No, <laughs> I agree. I just spotlighting my boy Ricky Jenkins. No, I'm, yeah, absolutely. Because we're talking so much about this cast and about where everyone was in their career at this point. And how much it just feels like this is the only cast this movie could have. It is fascinating how this cast kind of came together at the last second was not the original roadmap. And the thing that is most surprising about this movie is that it was Bill Murray as Van Horn. Not just theoretically, but pretty deep into the process. And Jack Nicholson was still with Angelica Houston at the time. She went to screen test for this movie. And while she was doing that, he heard that Bill Murray had pulled out of the film. The film had been set up around the fact that Bill Murray was attached. And he had to say to Angelica Houston, hey, if you're going in there, would you tell them that I would be interested in taking it if they're looking for somebody now? The idea that this movie wouldn't immediately go, oh, this is a Jack Nicholson vehicle. That this movie was set up conditional on it being a Jack Nicholson vehicle is insane. A sexy devil. Yes. What was the idea behind the Bill Murray? I just think he was the guy at that moment. And I think this is also this is probably what it is. This is probably why they went to Bill Murray first. This is in the weird wilderness after Ghostbusters where he doesn't make a movie for five years. Mm. And it was like he had the biggest goddamn hit. He became the biggest star. And then he walked away from it all. And I think he just negged Hollywood so hard that they were so desperate to get him back that he then became like the most coveted movie star for any executive or any director because the goal was like, can you be the one to lure him? And he doesn't return until Scrooge, save for the one scene in Little Shop of Horrors. He returns for Scrooge in 88 and then Ghostbusters 2 in 89. Scrooge, love it. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, but, it but, is, but I, not, I think, not this. Not this. No. Not this, Bill. You could see it working, but that would be a, a concession pick. It would make more could sense the other way around. Could you see it working? I, I could can. see it working, I mean, but I'd, not... I'd watch it. Yes. Right. He can sustain this level of horniness. I, that's He's not a it. horny guy. Here's the other thing. I don't think he has the energy for it. He is the, he's the a sexual? much more casual actor. Right. Every type of energy. Yeah. And I don't think he has the menace, although he clearly has a dark side. There is something right. to the fact that it's just like Nicholson is just like a fucking Tasmanian devil of evil and horniness in this movie. Like Absolutely. he's like animal from the Muppet show. You need <laughs> but, someone but, who's just like live wire the entire fucking film. But you also need, it's like, he needs to be someone who you're like, I would have sex with him. Of course. But I would also feel weird about it. Yeah. And like, I would think he was hot, but then I would also be like, why? Wait, like, you know, I would like stand back for a minute and be like, what, what, why is it that I think this is hot? And that is Jack Nicholson's seventies, but especially eighties, nineties movie vibe. He, I I don't think. Yeah. Well, you have to believe that the women want to hate fucking. Right. 
Exactly. And you right. can't do that with Bill Murray. In, in well, here's the thing. I think I think certain filmmakers, a different version of this movie, there is a version of it that works with Bill Murray that is this story transformed into a more traditional broad comedy in which mm. he is not actually sexy and he is playing sort of a sketch comedy version of a smarmy, misogynistic asshole. Yeah, not but it's interested. Not, no, not interesting. Not interesting. We want you the horny see, movie. We don't care yeah. about that other stuff, no. And I'm going to keep on coming back to this word, but I had never seen this movie before. <gasps> and it is... I know. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Oh my God. No, no, don't apologize. I'm excited for you. The mistake has been corrected. But yeah. the thing that was most striking to me about this film is that as opposed to a lot of the kind of comparable dark comedies of the time and mm. supernatural comedies of the time and dark supernatural comedies of the time, because you have like DeVito, you have Beetlejuice is the year after this. Mississippi Burning. Yeah. A, a, a great supernatural dark comedy. <laughs> May as well um, yeah, uh, but but even uh, Barry the Bridesmaid Sonnenfeld is about to start his uh, Adams mm. Family run a couple years later, like the Paul Rudnick zone. Like, this is like a thing, Frank Oz, that's like kind of existing in mainstream Hollywood at this time. This sort of sensibility. And I love that whole era of studio comedies that got dark and violent and all of that. But this movie has a little more genuine menace to it than those other films. There is like a real kind of it's not even a scariness because those other movies can have tension to them. But there is something that feels actually evil about this movie and not right. performatively it's kind of, dark. It's unsettling. It's also gross. Yes. Is what's evil is what's gross. The fact that it makes you horny. I don't I, it, like it, I think it's hot. I, what I it is evil, but it's hot. Right. It's a hot. I, movie, I, right? But, but yes. I think it's the fact movie. that it's genuinely hot it's so and hot. the fact that it's genuinely menacing. Yeah. Are one in the same. They're part yeah. and parcel because it's about the fact that this movie isn't putting anything in comedy quotes for a comedy. It is not a film that is structuring most of its big scenes for laughs right it is really trying to dig into the actual sort of ugliness of all of those primal emotions of yeah. fear of lust you know uh all it also it. doesn't have a plot at all no. like it it just like it's the girls hanging out for a bit and then he shows up and then we basically just sort of like like without acknowledging it, just cut to like yeah, they they're like a harem now, and yeah. everyone's freaking I mean, out about plot. it. The plot is The Bachelor, <laughs> the show. <laughs> oh, you're right. They could have this man, and he goes on dates with all of them, and back in yeah. the harem, they get into fights. His house is even very bachelor. Oh, uh, completely. Yeah. yeah, he fucks everyone. Right. Um, ahead right. of its time, this movie cannot believe that this is a George Miller movie. This is like the thing that astonishes. I me. think, I think George Miller can't kind of believe that this yeah. is a George. Right? Like this is the this is the one that sticks out weird, but in and like a I, good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean look, he's the, bringing, the guy has never made a bad film. I haven't um, seen all of them. I haven't seen Happy Feet. Uh, Happy Feet my, might be his worst movie. It's my least favorite. That's, that's why uh, I said that one, because I figured that'd be the whole but, in, in but what you guess said. what? Yeah. Spoiler. It turns out Happy Feet 2 is kind of a masterpiece. Yeah. Happy Feet 2, not bad. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm really into out. it? 
Um, I'm trying to find some stories about how he got involved in this project, other than I think much like Bill Murray, uh, George Miller had become the sort of unattainable for studios. For him to do three Mad Maxes in a row, each one sort of topping the previous one in terms of scale, in terms of uh, technical sort of craft and box office and everything. I think it was just like, this is so clearly a guy we should be pulling into the Hollywood system. And he kept on avoiding it. He would get distribution deals with American studios, but he wanted to play the game his own way by his own terms. So I think uh, they actively pursued him because uh, I don't know if he was the first choice, but it was just like the fact that he kept on saying no made Mm. him more and more desirable. But the big X factor to this movie is it was a Goober Peters production. It was the two John, John Peters and Peter Goober, or the two Peters rather, John Peters and Peter Goober, who are the notorious uh, sort of swinging dick producers of the 80s, who then became the heads of Columbia Pictures and almost ran it into the ground. Um, And this was a movie that was a total war between the two of them, uh, who would then go on to do uh, Batman with Nicholson uh, Mm. and Burton, um, and Miller. And Miller had never had to deal with producers who were uh, against him. He had always worked with his best friend as his producer and his right. own sort of team that he had built and had come up with. And, and the uh, money was Australian money. Like he'd never worked yeah, with the studio. That was, totally. Yeah. Um, and so this he's dealing with a bunch of big stars for the first time, which he hadn't done before. He had essentially made Mel Gibson. Um, right. And he's dealing with a studio and he's dealing with two powerhouse producers who want things done the way that they wanted it done. And uh, George Miller, his big thing he always says about this movie is that uh, Jack Nicholson saved him, that Jack Nicholson exerted all of his movie star power to support him, to make sure his vision was kept intact, but also that Jack Nicholson really kind of tutored him on how to make sure he got what he wanted, because he said, I can tell you're a real filmmaker And I want to make sure you don't lose battles, not just here, but going forward. Do you think that Jack Nicholson voted for Spotlight or Mad Max Fury Road? Oh, wow. Oh, oh, we're not going to go there. I think he voted for Mad Max. I think he did. He's got that chaos energy. The way George Miller continues to talk about Jack Nicholson, it feels like Nicholson really took such a goddamn shine to him. And felt so uh, protective shine. of him uh. Yeah, that I can't imagine him looking <laughs> <Can>. at Fury <laughs> Road and saying anything other than that'll do, George, that'll do. Oh, like, he must have felt such beaming pride watching remember, Fury Road. Nicholson was in Mars Attacks. Just remember yes. that performance. Oh, Think about I that man. Forget. <laughs> yeah. I played hooky to go see Mars Attacks. I snuck in. Right. I didn't go to school. Um, That's how much I fucking cared. No, you went. Um, you to did school. go to school. Yeah, uh, you went to see Mars Attacks. That's that, cool. That was you were so schooled. Beautiful. That was yeah. so beautiful. Can I read just two quick uh, uh, Miller Nicholson Peter Goober's uh, Beyond Thunderdome cage match uh, things here? Yeah. Uh, so John Peters, uh, very famously, amongst other things, there is the story about him developing the uh, Tim Burton Kevin Smith Superman Returns that has now been widely circulated, where he was desperately yeah, trying to get Kevin spider. Smith to write a robot spider in, which he then later shoehorned into Wild Wild West. Here's a very similar <laughs> story. Okay, I'm just going to read this, this verbatim you, is this, from yeah, IMDb sure, Trivia. Go ahead. 
According to George Miller, producer John Peters suddenly decided he wanted aliens to appear in the movie, even though it didn't make sense with the story. Miller thinks that Peter was influenced by the box office success of Aliens, 1986. He even showed up one day on set with a stuntman dressed as an alien and told Miller to put him in a scene, any scene. Miller and Jack Nicholson... Yes, Miller and Jack Nicholson then left the set until Peters gave up on his fixation. I just want to point out, fucking John Peters didn't just say at like a script stage, can we write aliens into it? He didn't even say while filming, can we find a way to put an alien in somewhere? He showed up to set with a guy in a full goddamn alien costume and said, put him in a scene today. What do you think the costume looks like? I don't know. I... I respect I, it. I, this is what I want to say. I'm imagining I'm imagining the guy from Shape of Water showing up. I, I mean, I feel like it probably is right. your classic kind <laughs> of gray, almond-eyed alien. Yeah. But just like, it's like normal meddling Hollywood producers do annoying things like say at the script stage, why don't we put aliens in this movie? Only yeah. John Peters got a guy to dress <laughs> up. I know. Showed up on the set and was like, "Come on, he can be in the background." Like, like who's it gonna hurt? I will, I will not name the project, but there is a thing I worked on once where there was a horrible sort of cigar smoking, slick back hair producer, and he would repeatedly go to the sort of creative head of the project and pitch them on uh, having a scene where the lead got punched in the nuts by a little person. <laughs> <laughs> He never brought a little person to set. He would bring it up every right. day. Right. He would pitch it in detail. He would pull up YouTube clips to try to support his point. But he never got to the point of saying, here is a little person. I've hired him. I put him through hair and right. makeup. Pick your scene. John Peters did that. And he did that with a yep. special effects costume with some degree of makeup to make yep. a fucking no. human being look I like an alien. It. I think so, it's great. Shoot so your shot. Is, I think I think that show you're committed to the idea. Commit this is the, the other big part of this. And I think this really causes like a turning point in George Miller's career. He never does a movie like this again. He never gives a studio this much control over him. But I think it makes him twice as sort of stubborn and steadfast about his vision. So let me just read this. After the alien thing, Miller and Jack Nicholson left the set until Peters gave up on his fixation. So this is connected to that. In Australia Magazine, Cinema Papers, early 90s, director George Miller revealed the shoot had been extremely difficult. Da 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 da. This is, this is so fucking telling of everything that is still to this day incredibly stupid about the sort of Hollywood studio system mentality. Well, be and nice sw- to Hollywood studio system right now because. Oh. <laughs> Those poor guys. Okay, let me couch this. Let me try to say this while pulling some punches. But, but okay? until, until like a couple of months ago. Yeah. Right, punching bag. Okay, but but this is, I swear to God, this shit still happens today. In a meeting to discuss ways to reduce the budget, Miller volunteered to give up his trailer because he was always on set and had no time to use it. The studio concluded from that that he was a pushover, so they began to interfere with his production requests. If he asked for 50 extras, the studio would provide a dozen. If he asked for two cameras, they would provide one. Miller decided to fight fire with fire and refused to shoot each scene until his production demands were met. The studio responded by looking for a new director, but Jack Nicholson, who supported Miller, vowed to walk off the production if he was replaced. So this is the psychology here. A guy comes to set and goes, look, if we need extra money for this movie, I don't need this creature comfort. 
put it back into the production so the value is up there on the screen. And they said, this guy is such a cuck that he doesn't even want a trailer. That must mean he's a bad director. So we shouldn't give him anything. I swear to God, this is how these people still fucking operate. Right. But I mean, it is the 80s is the height of this kind of like, hey, look, you know, the guy with the biggest dick is the real director over here. You know, right? Like what you're saying, the cigar chomping, Hawaiian shirt wearing producer. You understand how if this is the one experience he has with this and even still the movie is a hit, it comes out well, it gets good reviews. The movie stars all align with him. George Miller smartly. Yeah, really fucking hot. George Miller smartly is like, I'm going back to Australia. I'm doing everything on my fucking terms. I'm getting my own fundraise, like uh, financing. And I'm buying back the rights to Mad Max. Like I'm optioning Babe myself. Like everything becomes, I have to do this on my own. Mrs. Dalloway said, I'm optioning Babe myself. That's yep. fucking poetry, dude. Like, And at the time, that didn't really make sense. Like, when she wrote that, it didn't really make sense. Until George. Yeah. Until I gotta George. say, what you're saying clarifies for me, you know, the, the behind-the-scenes big dick energy of, of George here mm-hmm. clarifies to me why this is his hottest movie. Because I think, I think there's something about this movie that feels like a fight to me. When I watched right. it, like, when I watched it recently, it, it just, first of all, you got to have that moment where you think, man, remember when just a mainstream Hollywood movie would really was a movie? <laughs> like, yes. someone is a head like production behind value. the camera. The fucking shot compositions are more than just rudimentary and the fucking outfit and just everything. It, it's like a, a fucking film that's yeah. a popcorn movie, but it's like a fucking film. This I is think the what term you're I saying is, oh, yes. is getting yeah. at that. It's getting at that yes. for me. But like, totally. no, we're going to make a fucking good movie instead of this alien. I, I really, I, I, I respect friend, showing up with an alien. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, no. I mean, look, respect it as an individual move, but also respect commit George not bit, yes. letting it interfere with it. Oh, great commitment yeah. from Peters, one of our finest comedians. <laughs> um, I, I had a friend who lived on my couch for like almost a year because uh, he had lost his job and had insurmountable credit card debt. And, and my roommate and I were like, Stay on our couch until you rebound. And most of that year, because most of my social life is sitting on a couch and watching things, was uh, me watching stuff with him late at night because he now lived on uh, his bed was the couch. Um, Yeah. And when I would have to try to sell him on a nightly basis on something to watch, something that I want to watch that he would also approve of because it was his bed. um, (laughs) He would always say, I want to watch like a movie movie. Yeah. Like he was a guy who liked movies, but was not like very, you know, serious about them. And I was like, I would always say, what do you mean? And he was like, you know, like a movie movie that has like cinematography and like a music and acting. And I would say all movies have that. He's like, no, but you know what I'm saying? And what he was saying is what you're saying now, Cam. It's a term I think about all the time. It's it's a certain level of studio film made with real movie stars giving real sort of in-the-pocket performances with real production value, real vision, real voice behind it, real ideas, and like just top-of-the-line craft. And Whether still or not the thing works. Product. It's still yes. product. Right. That was his thing. Like, sometimes I'd be like, this is a really good foreign film. This is a really good indie film. And he was like, I want to watch a movie movie. No, I know exactly what he means. And this is, this is, I mean, this is a movie that lives up to the fact that it stars Jack Nicholson, Susan Sarandon, Cher, and Cher fucking and Michelle, Michelle fucking Pfeiffer. Yeah. 
It's pretty nice. It I mean, lives just, up to that. The poster structure right, of the poster. Big Nicholson above, like top of everything, and then one no, no, line no, no, no. down. Oh, oh, you mean the naming? Yeah, yeah, right. Yes, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's yes. Nicholson yeah. in huge font, yeah, and, and then, then slightly smaller font, one line down, Cher, Sarandon, Pfeiffer. And it's rare that you have like the number one guy at the top is humongous, and also the three people below him with that gulf are still all legendary legends yeah. legends true legends all, all legends all as cam is saying pretty much at the height of their powers yeah. right bar none yeah maybe Fife, pfeiffer is still in her sort of ingenue phase i guess she's the youngest of them like but she's she a grown ass woman a runway yes. right i mean no, she's she like, is she is at, but like at this point she's incredibly got, overqualified ingenue She's got Baker boys in a couple of years. She's got Batman a couple of years after that, right? Like she's got, she's ramping up. This yeah. is her ramping up. I guess dangerous liaisons. That's next year. Right. Yeah. I, I got to tell you guys, like the weird thing about me and George Miller is that my introduction to George Miller, uh, you know, I didn't see the Mad Max films until college. Um, sure. And et cetera, et cetera. My George Miller films, I didn't know this at the time were, this and Lorenzo's Oil, the movie that he made afterward. Oh, wow. These yeah. movies yes. were on TV all the time. So you only knew his Sarandon I did not know that George Miller directed Witchers of Eastwick until Fury Road. <laughs> it's pretty... <laughs> They're completely <laughs> divorced. Yeah. And, and Lorenzo's Oil is just like... Are I you mean, an oil boy? <laughs> what do you think of oil? What do you think of the oil? Uh, I mean, it's in, the, not, in the words of the Tin Man and the Wiz, would you suggest that people slide some oil to you? Well, it's like depressing. I'm sorry. Yeah, it is, but it's good. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a childhood illness that's like incurable. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is a it is a real slog, but it, it is, is slog, also but it's there's also, nothing like it. It's there's nothing like it, but also if your lens on, I, I just want to. I live in a weird universe where. These were the two, these were two big movies for me as a kid. I watched them a lot. They were on all the time. There's this oil. I mean, Susan Sarandon, just Jersey legend. I'm a Jersey guy. Shit. Of course. Like, oh, where Jersey? I'm from Plainfield, North Plainfield. Susan oh, Sarandon's sure. from Edison, where I also okay. for a time. Um, so I'm love, Patterson area. I, oh, I love that for you. I don't love the movie. I don't love the movie Patterson. How uh, dare you? Great I like movie. it. Come on. Love that I like movie. It. I like it. I just. It's fine. You don't have to like it. No, it's all right. I mean, you know, just uh, Jersey art. It's a high standard. It's fine. Yep. I mean, we have Philip That's Roth, fair. but it's fine. Patterson's good. Um, Angelica Houston, it seems like, was their first choice. And by her own admission, she fucked up the audition. Who was like, she going to She says be? she was going to be Alex. She, which it she's just feels be the like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Obvious sort of casting. Uh, she's in such a witch zone then. Had she already done right. The Witches or does that come after this? I don't know, but that's fucking iconic. That's, right? That's a couple years after, but that okay. is iconic. And Without then, of course, she's up, Morticia. She, we know she didn't get any nominations for The Witches, right? Uh, are we sure? I'm pretty sure. I, I, I want to well, she got well, one. I would love to be wrong. I'm going to look it up and well, I want to bet that she got well, one. She, she, she won uh, Critics Awards, but that's it. For The Witches? Okay. no. Yes. Good for critics. I'm Thank loving you. us right now. <laughs> she won the LAFCA and the National Society, but 
She uh, won a national That was also. But, but here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. It was tied for with that and the Grifters. Okay. Oh, okay. The so Grifters was her prestige movie. Right. So right. it was well, similar to so, this. But, it was similar but, to. But they still yeah, shouted yeah. it out. Yeah. I mean, she is so good in the Grifters and so good in most movies that she, she would have been great in. in this. Yeah. She would have been, been great in this, Jack. but. She she sort of yes. said like I I felt like this was in my court yeah. and I couldn't get my head around the language and I went into the screen test ill prepared and it's probably the worst audition I've ever done. Is there so a take? I think I'm looking for it because God YouTube is perfect for this kind yes. of thing. Absolutely, oh, I would love to see what she thinks is her worst audition. So then everything goes like sort of out the window. Pfeiffer was the one of the three who was cast earliest. After I think mm-hmm. they considered Amy Madigan and also Daryl Hannah, Daryl Hannah huh. turned the film down, and I quote, "On moral grounds." Oh, tell me more. <laughs> I love it. I have no further <laughs> info. Too horny. Daryl, no, clan of the cave bear. I was Hannah. going to say, are we not all but certain that Daryl Hannah turned this film down because she thought it was disrespectful to witches? I'm not even making a joke. I have to imagine. <laughs> I'm I'm a thousand percent serious. I guarantee you that was the reason. Oh boy. That's the reason. We're just going. I have no that. inside track. I just I feel it in my fucking bones that she thought this film <laughs> gave witches. I but, would but fucking love a bad that. luck. I it, it makes sense though. Like just like Angelica Houston, they went with Cher. Like, yeah, Daryl yeah. Hannah was in that zone, in that yeah, right. uh, Michelle Pfeiffer ingenue zone right then. So Pfeiffer, um, then they, they lock down and then they're looking to cast the role of Alex. And who do they cast? Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon yes. is officially cast as Alex, accepts the role, yeah. starts doing the work. Then they're struggling to get the third witch. They finally get through to Cher. Cher agrees. She likes the project. And then after signing on, she takes another read of the script and she goes, actually, I'd rather play this role than that role. And so they swap them out. Cher becomes Alex. Sarandon does not even know that her role has been switched Ooh, until she it. arrives Drama. on location for pre-production. It's so rude. Yeah. But it's pretty wild because then it's like you look at this cast and you go, oh, all three of them must have been first choices for these roles. This feels like the three most obvious prominent women to play these parts. But it yeah. actually was like a circuitous path to get there and a circuitous path to get Nicholson. I'm I'm glad we're dwelling on this. This is an extremely well cast movie. Yes, yes, it is. Like how how they figured it out, and and right because Jenkins, who I mean, Uh, this is very early in his career, right? This is this is one of his earliest movies. Mm -hmm. Even though he was born like 45 years old and balding, he's like that SNL sketch where Will Ferrell comes out named Ted Brogan, already owing people money. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> and then Do you remember that where they're in a delivery room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good sketch. I don't and know, then I'll Veronica Cartwright is Veronica incredible. Fucking Cartwright. I was gonna say Veronica She's Cartwright so is my stealth pick for the best performance in this movie. Oh, I think her well, work I mean, in this is not unreal. Stealth. Unreal. Yeah, I rewatched unreal. The Birds recently, and first of all, iconic movie. Mm? Uh, yes. Talk about witches. I mean, just if you add birds to this movie. Oh, uh, just combine these two movies somehow. We got to do that. This movie could use some crows. That, uh, that's some what crows, Peter should have been doing. Yeah. Yeah. He should have been throwing birds onto the, <laughs> into the set. <laughs> 
Veronica <laughs> Cartwright. Oh. Did do you guys know that Veronica Cartwright and Jack Nicholson used to date in the 70s? And tell, that, me, boy. tell me when in the 70s. I don't have more specifics. I will look for answers right now, but this is the big headline. I don't want to bury this lead. They rekindled their affair during production of this movie. Wasn't he still with Angelica yes, or is he, he not? Yes, oh, he's he being was. a bad boy. Cartwright and Nicholson were fucking during the filming of this film on camera during takes. That's not oh, true. Wow. I would just like to reiterate that this is George Miller's hottest film. And everything yeah, that's coming up just feels like it's just fate, right? Like, that, that even those Some two characters were fucking, yeah. Call it God, I will, but I just, I call it, I don't know, how, I don't have a word for how perfect. Of course, some people in this movie are fucking, though, right? I mean, oh, yeah. For, I mean, yes. Well, right. That's the, yeah, mean, they all, every, everyone in every movie is having sex. Um, uh, fair. You, I just, fair. It's, yes, no, but yes. Nine, I, I, the uh, date I have here, 1978, is. Well, that's Jack she's in going, going south. south. I believe okay. that's when they met and then had an affair. Yeah. Wow. That dated after that, yeah. Um, but so so right. So this is kind of a like, hey, Veronica, like you yeah. know, it's like they're rekindling their. Yeah. Not even one um, of the witches, and she fucking starts fucking Jack Nicholson. I mean, there is a really, she, good, there's a good chance that Jack Nicholson had sex with all four primary actresses in this film, right? There's who, a really good chance. Who wouldn't sleep with everyone in this movie? I know. Like, there's a good chance a that perfect, everyone in this film slept with everyone else in this. It movie. is a perfect. Orgy. Uh, just, there's, a, there's a good chance that Richard Jenkins fucked Jack Nicholson off camera. Well, I hope so. That that Cher was stuffing Sarandon. I'm talking every which way but lose. I think everyone was and, was and Carol uh, Carol Strookian, you know, uh, uh, the <laughs> Lurch. No, who wasn't picking off a piece? There's enough of that Lurch guy was laying pipe. He's a fucking buffet. <laughs> Lurch himself. Fidel. Fidel is a funny name for that guy. Yes. Because every time Nicholson goes on about him, I had to remind myself he's not talking about Fidel Castro. <laughs> right, right. Because the scenes work that way. If you think that this guy just keeps on bringing up Fidel Castro as a non sequitur, right. wants to talk about Fidel's hog size. His vibe could be, <laughs> I know Fidel Castro socially. That's why I accepted that. I went, oh, what a good character detail. This guy hangs out with Fidel Castro. <laughs> You know, um, the devil, so, 1980s devil and Fidel. <laughs> so the plot of The Witches of Eastwick. I, I have, I have. Not. I think <laughs> um, is that there's a little town called Eastwick. There are these three ladies who have, uh, is Island. it like a standing Thursday date? Yeah, it's in Rhode Island, right? It's like, yes. um, they have a little martini the, club. Well, well, wait, they um, have a martini I feel like we're skipping over something. I feel like we're skipping over the era in the of the eighties and nineties Reagan-esque sure. sweeping aerial shots of Fall, Connecticut, mm. Rhode mm-hmm. Island, mm-hmm. with the John Williams music and the you know you know what I'm talking about, right? This yeah. mode, yeah, which leads to I mean I think what you're describing pretty much ends the following year because Beetlejuice just fucking takes it to the Absolutely. mat. With the with right. the fucking psych out the of the modern thing becomes no, but also the opening right of the now. Elfman yeah. yes, score yes, over yes. what looks like the helicopter shot and then turns out to be a model in an attic. Oh, I love right. that. They they butcher him. They take him to the cleaners. They fold him like laundry. They, yeah. Uh-huh. They get juiced. 
is what I'm saying. So these, yeah. But yes, that is no, so these, that is very representative this time period. And it's also worth noting yeah. that the book. The Witches of Eastwick, obviously written by John Updike, of course, uh, it takes place in the 60s. A big immediate change yes. oh. to this movie to set it in the 80s. Yeah. Not the only change they made, but but a big immediate one. Yeah, and, and a, a very clever change. None like, of this us has set in the book, 60s. Right? No, you said no. you dabbled, right? You, I read a few pages. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, right, I mentioned this to you before that this is the only John Updike novel on Harold Bloom's list of the Western canon. The mm. rabbit novels are not there. None of the other bullshit's there. Very bizarre. Very bizarre, but that would mean, I mean, obviously I was curious. And yeah, I mean, I have to say in the opening pages, women are talking and that was interesting for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't realize that this was is legal. Like, he's, he's the guy, funnily enough, you know Nicholson's line in As Good As It Gets, like, you know, how do I write women? Well, <laughs> yeah. Come on, what's the line? Like, uh, I imagine. All right, now I have to look it up. Oh, I, 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 I write a man and then thing. I remove like reason. It's like reason and <laughs> right. something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even. Yeah. I, I, st- I before the scene. I reason said I wasn't and accountability. Yes. That's right. I said I wasn't going to shade Updike, so I apologize for that. Um, no, I didn't know shade. Yeah. But yeah, look, it stands out in his work. Uh, it, it, I think it, it, it can only, it, this is the only time any critic of books has, has called like an Updike novel feminist, right? Like this is right. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also like the, this is a weirdly adapted work. I think one of yeah. the reasons that it's not thought of as an Updike novel, cause it's rare that a writer who is that prominent has a book that is this prominent and the two are rarely sort of associated with each other. Yeah. And part of it is that this thing keeps on getting adapted into different mediums at different time periods uh, over the last 30 years. Um, but I think one of the running things that if you read the the sort of response to the book at the time and even the legacy now and also every version, the the TV show, the musical, this movie, there's constantly this question of like, is this thing a satire of what it seems to be saying? Yeah. Is it a work that other people can reclaim? Like, what was his intent in writing it? Is he trying to sort of reassert gender roles or is he trying to deconstruct them? Like, it, it's it's a, kind of an interesting, thorny text. The movie? For all of it. The, yeah. All of it. Yeah. 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 You know, I... I, for me, what I love about this movie is that it it kind of floats beyond all of that for me. Like, I I I don't mean to keep coming back to the sexual energy, but I guess it, it does for me. It is a movie star movie full of great sexual energy. So to me, that is what it's about. It like yeah, witches yes. are a sexual thing. A horny goat man is a sexual thing. <laughs> all the fucking is literally sexual. So satire or not, I it it. I feel like it's beyond that. It's about it's it a is movie a star movie to me. And also whether or not it's it's satire, it's sort of like it's a comedy playing off of the the cis het perception of gender roles within a relationship. Yes. Whether it's trying to deconstruct them or support them or just acknowledge well, that they exist and find comedy within that. It is about people bad. literally willing themselves into a relationship that represents all the best and all the worst 
of uh, straight male female pairings. But because the movie is so ridiculous, yeah, it it, yeah. it just sort of it just finds an escape hatch beyond like lingering to me on those questions. It like it, in the end, I I I, I don't. I just laugh. I think it's like a successful comedy because it it just floats beyond these things. It's like it's acknowledging, but really it's I mean, if ever I were to say this is just a movie about something, like for all the really interesting things that are happening, this to me just is like a movie movie. I I I don't know. Once I get into like the gender politics of this movie, I'm like, I don't know, to me the gender politics are everyone wants to fuck. Everyone wants to fuck, but there is this sort of vibe of like, he worships them and he sort of is, he's amazed by, you know, there's that speech where he's like women, they can make babies, right? You know, where he's like talking about how incredible women's bodies are. And, but you know, he he doesn't really want to gross about it. Exactly. And he doesn't really want to do, uh, like, you know, he, he can only, he thinks of them best as bodies. I feel like that is, his yeah. vibe for most of the movie. Like he's he wants to make babies with them. I, I also think sure, yeah, movie, he's a problematic guy. <laughs> yeah, with the devil. He's, he's, he's a problematic a, man. He's, I mean, he's, he's a problematic devil. Man. He's but, the devil. But I think that what is great is that it acknowledges how alluring and like horny it would be to be worshipped that way. But also right yeah. at the end of the day, you're just sitting in a fucking bubble bath kind of bored out of your mind. So this is my big take on this movie. Because it is literally about the these women conjuring this guy together, right? From essentially like a pitch meeting of everything they right. would want in a guy. But it's very specifically the the pitching you do when you're drunk, yeah. you know, with friends. Uh, yeah. You're sort of like, your id is talking. Yeah. Um, I think this movie is above all else uh, about being attracted to things that you know are bad. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, whether they're qualities in a person or dynamics in a relationship. Which is why Jack Nicholson is perfect. Yes. Right. He is that where you're like, I love this. I know there's something I know. I know this is not ideal. I know this guy's got a dark past. Like, I mean, right? you cast Jack Nicholson. I'm not going to immediately go, well, this is the guy to root for. I'm going to (laughs) go, well, I got questions about this guy. But but even but I want to see him. But I oh, want to see totally. him on screen. I want to see him be problematic. And even from yes. like his perspective, he is drawn to them because they are like strong willed. But he himself admits late in the movie that all he really wants is someone to fucking do his ironing. You know, right. like it's like baby. Yeah. He he would not be turned on to someone who was more subservient. But he also still at the end of the day wants domesticity. Right. But the thing that the movie does that's interesting is that it doesn't wait until the end for the women to have a sort of moment where they realize this is bad. For example, Cher pretty immediately is like, okay, you're, you're, you're a piece of shit. Like the first thing she says to her, basically, okay. Like not saying that we're not going to fuck, but I'm just saying that you're a piece of shit. Uh, it's like, it's like, it's, it's not like we're swinging around at the end towards some revelation about how terrible he is and how, they're they're able to be strong from the get go. They will him into being. They're in control. They're in control right. throughout the movie more than they realize, and they're harnessing right. their like crazy and they, right, they have wish power. Right, they have witch powers the whole time, but are not even really conscious of them for half the damn movie. And the witch power is being horny. It it just is simple, right. people. 
you know, I, 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 I right. This is anything they were that, for the horniness rating and, they were and magic. As a child, I knew what this movie was about. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, between this um, and, and, and Catwoman, it's just like Michelle Pfeiffer, you're representing, I mean, sex on screen to me and Scarface. I mean, she, Batman must hate Scarface. this movie, right? <laughs> it must just yeah. freak him out. Gosh. So these women, they have, this movie is like dark practical magic. I know practical magic came out later, but practical magic is like, you actually could summon your ideal husband just through a spell and he'd turn out to be a nice guy. And this is like, if you tried to do that, you would literally, literally find yourself fucking the devil. And they so they they summon this guy kind of by mistake his introduction is incredible the the you know they're at the classical music concert and he's yes. snoring and making these like wild boar noises it's based on my that, grandfather um <laughs> he, he did that at uh one of my middle school bands concerts oh, no. once so I like to introduce to- him from the moment he's so disgusting, oh, like yeah. in the first, and it's so good. And and it's so not good. like he is styled radically different in this film than he is in general, other than the tiny little ponytail. The yeah. ponytail, the ponytail is an incredible the touch. Ponytail. But, but from the moment he comes on screen, I realized, oh, Jack Nicholson looks like George Miller designed him. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Jack, almost is like the bullet farmer. Like Jack Nicholson's <laughs> natural eyebrows are how he styled a Morton Joe. Oh, right. Can right. we talk about the most natural fuck up face in Hollywood? Just a yeah. guy whose eyebrows, whose smile. Yeah. When we lose Jack Nicholson, we lose everybody. But like, there's no one who's got a face like this. Right. No, there's, and, there's and just, no one who's got like and that. just I, I also argue the energy. That's the thing for me. I just I argue there is no one today who has this much energy on camera. It would be not only could you not name today's Jack Nicholson, but it would be laughable to even like shortlist candidates. Like there isn't anyone looking, like that. I'm not even looking for someone to be exactly know, like him. I'm like, what's an equivalent? No, but like no one's in that zone. Yeah. is what I'm saying. No, but, but it's I, just, I just like he's got the anyone, most yeah. juice. He's got the most battery of anybody. You know. And to be so good at comedy and like fucking drama right. with the same right. freaking smile. Yeah. With that same shit. And he rarely, like, he rarely disguises himself. Mm, he's a very right. distinctive, specific guy. He's got a specific voice. He's got specific mannerisms. And he is able to apply those to such wildly different things in different films and also hand himself fully over to directors. It is so yeah. telling that in a case right. like this, and you, you'd hear the same stories about so Batman many a couple though. years yeah. later, yeah. which is also Peter and Goober's, where like even with a young director, if he believed in them, he was like, I got your fucking back. You know, like, I'll fight the battles for you because I'm Jack. But he'll um, say it in a voice that kind of scares you. Yeah. Would you say, I'm like, fuck like, you, like, Tim Burton? <laughs> God. Go, go ahead, Ben. Would you say that his approach to acting in, like, that manly kind of way that makes him special? Like, I think of that and, like, like Harrison Ford, too, of, like, how they're not, like, like, it's artful, but they're not, like, taking it too seriously or themselves yeah. too seriously do you know what i mean sure definitely you don't think about ultimate... what school of acting yes. come from no they don't that. give right. a shit right. about that yeah he is the ultimate sort of in quotes movie star he is kind of the only movie star who yeah. is constantly deflating his persona every single movie he makes even when the film 
is built around supporting that persona. I yeah. also but think like, of like the the classic Elaine May quote about like improv, where she said, "If you don't know what to do in a scene, seduce, seduce, seduce." She was like, "That's mm-hmm. always the most interesting choice you can make as an actor is to seduce," which is Elaine May's opinion. But Jack right. Nicholson treats every single scene as a seduction, even if it isn't <sighs> literally. It always is, even if it's a business scene. You know, mm-hmm. every yeah. scene is some sort of seduction. He's always trying to lure someone over to his side. I need an Elaine May, Jack Nicholson. Oh, God. Collab. Let's make it happen. I mean, fucking right fuck. now. Are you fucking kidding me? Could I know. We... And the fact that she is, you know, allegedly coming out of retirement to direct another film. Can and we... Nicholson's been off the screen for over a decade. It's like, if she could oh fucking lure him out. If we can do a New Leaf 2021. That's optimistic. I'll say this. 2022. I'll even say this. Yeah, right. Jack, I think, Elaine. I think Elaine May Jack Nicholson is the only uh, fucking, why am I blanking on the title? The Marion at a film that Nicholson um, was supposed Erdman. to remake. Oh, oh, Tony Erdman. Oh, oh, good call. Yeah. Elaine May is the only person I would be interested in seeing remake Tony Erdman. Yes. And Nicholson was supposed to do it. But 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 my initial feeling about and this is getting at what we're talking about. Yeah. My initial feeling about that was, damn, it really fucking depends on who directs that movie. Totally. Because totally. he so easily gets lent to because he's a mainstream actor. Yeah. So he he gets lent yeah. to he gets lent to some dog shit. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I I, 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 actors are t- act, like actors with careers like his are tough because you you know as a writer you kind of have that moment where you want to do a thing about an actor and you actually go line by line through mm-hmm. their filmography and watch the shit. Mm-hmm. And you're like, fuck, you were in a lot of terrible movies. And and Jack has yeah. been. But like... He's been in a few bad ones. He's been in a few bad ones. Meryl Streep too, just name like, you know, people who are great, but whose movies mm-hmm. aren't always yeah. great. Well, I, she Nicholson's really had movies, the problem. I think have been better. I think she, been Meryl better. made a lot of mediocre movies. Meryl has been in a ton of things that are not very good, but she is good in them. Well, that's how you rig the game, right? You let everyone else right, exactly. kind of slum it, and then you're like, well, I'm fucking Meryl Streep, so I'm going mean, to get the fucking I mean, Oscar I mean, she's in a terrible movie. She's got is, great movies, obviously. It, it inspired one of my favorite uh, Onion articles ever. I just pulled up the exact headline here, but it is an op-ed column, quote-unquote, written by Meryl Streep, and the headline is, name one masterpiece of cinema that I've started. <laughs> right. And no. the thesis is, it's Meryl Streep saying like, look, I mean, I, I'm not complaining. I've had a good career. Obviously, I'm very respected. But like, have I ever been in a truly great movie? And that article's from 2009. Yeah. I and The guess. Onion makes That's... a pretty good argument against her being in a single flat out masterpiece. No, she, she's, she's, been in some, she's been in some great stuff. Agreed. But this is... Everyone will but, read the article on their own time. But, uh, but the proportion is not healthy. Yes. It's yes. not healthy. Yes. It's, you know, she's got a lot of, you know, Marvin's rooms in there. Forgot about Marvin's No offense room. to Marvin's room. Do you know who no, I think is the to ultimate... Mar- offense to Marvel's room. <laughs> Here is <laughs> my opinion, whatever. the ultimate example of what we're talking about. Are you ready for a surprisingly difficult question? Oh, I love it. Yes. What is the best movie that Angelina Jolie has ever been in? 
by the sea, directed by Angelina Jolie. <laughs> Next question. She is the only one who's ever done right by Angelina Jolie. <laughs> and she made Brad Pitt do accents, which he's bad at. And that's how, yeah. that's what you do to your ex-husband, man. She, she made him do him. like four Fucking accents him, at the same time. And and he sucked at that. Really, really. Yeah, face planning. That's how no, you but isn't, do it. What is for someone who is that iconic, who is like one of the biggest box office movie stars of the last 20 years, also has won an Oscar. It is astonishing how bad her filmography is if you really look at it film by film. She would get hit with she's not a star. There's an, No, I'm saying there's an honest argument for that. And that in and of itself is kind of <laughs> astonishing when you consider how unquestioned she is as one of the biggest stars. And just a great, a great star. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite Angelina Jolie movie is Alexander. I think that's the answer. But like, once again, a controversial answer. Like, both of you are picking, Very controversial. picking movies that are controversial. I, Griffin, I understand the premise of your, it's, I, you're I absolutely think it's fascinating. Right. Controversial only because people haven't caught up. I mean, yeah, people look, need to it, catch it's, up. It's tough being an iconoclast, but, and that's but why, I, I appreciate David's answer as well. That's why, similarly, I think her best film is Sky Captain The World of Tomorrow, which people have not caught up with yet. <laughs> but you know what? I respect that. I love uh, this conversation. Uh, I really, I'm struggling to think of a better one than any of these. It, I kept wanting just, to say Titanic, but she wasn't. Right. That. It's just kind She'd of incredible in how undeniable she is that she's been big in three separate decades now. Yeah. And she has done so few films that have any sort of lasting imprint. But this even is, beyond the quality that have like really held up in anyone's minds. This is stardom. Yeah, it's it's it, right. That's the this, point. This it's is, undeniable stardom. stardom. You don't watch, her, watch the ahead, movie. Go. You watch for her. Her stardom right. is so much bigger than any film she's ever been in. I rewatched Tomb Raider recently. I don't really even know why. It's so fascinating and it's such a like, I don't know, like a nostalgia warm bath that just reminds me of like the early 2000s in this great way. Yeah. When did it come out? That was 2000. 2001. 2000, 2001, maybe. Yeah. 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 Oh. Can I just. Can I just that was a different time. Daniel Craig. May I just very quickly just speed round this? I just want to list some titles. No, in Griffin. Order. No, no. I'm do this we so got to talk about the movie. Ah, oh, god damn it! All right, <laughs> the Bone Collector. Gone in sixty seconds. Wait, hold on. Bone Collector. We Great. can't do this because we're going to have to stop. Griffin, no, no, Warcraft no. Tomb Raider. People can look at her film. Life or something like it. Warcraft Tomb Raider. Smith. Stop. Stop. The Cradle of Life. Griffin, stop. Griffin, I want to say something about Original Sin. Okay. Good Shepherd. Written and directed by Michael, Michael Good Christopher. Shepherd Masterpiece. Michael Christopher, who wrote this movie yes. and also plays Truxton Spangler in Rubicon. And is also Angelica Go Houston's ahead. ex-husband on the NBC series Smash. Yes, and she throws a drink in his face. Should and I watch Smash? Iconically. Yes. I think the answer right now during the quarantine to that question is always yes. Like, should I watch? I'm like, yeah, what else are you doing? Have I already uh, made this joke yeah. uh, on this podcast <laughs> that a, a friend texted, should I watch The Good Dinosaur? And I was like, yeah, I mean, now. <laughs> That's one where I'm like, mm, let's, mm, let's see. Like, uh, if this is a six-monther. Like, that, that, that movie is bad in ways that are entirely inoffensive. Why not watch it? We all apparently have <laughs> all the time in the world to watch anything. Watch The Good Dinosaur. It won't make you angry. The only thing that it could possibly might make you angry, angry 
is I wasted an hour and a half on this. You're not going to have that complaint anymore. A month from now, what is the next series of movies? Like when, what, how further do you go down that path? You watch Cars Should too. Watch? That's what happened. Oh my god! <laughs> a month from now, we're all going to be watching Cars too. By the time no, this episode comes out, everyone's watching really Cars too. Look, that's I don't really want to be. I'm not trying to be get canceled. I'm not trying to be controversial. But a month from now, everyone's going to be watching Cars too. I really don't want that. <laughs> That is a bleak. That's the bleakest thing I've heard since this began. And I've heard some bleak shit. I'm not going to not going to joke around here. That's so bleak. Cam, one month from now, Flashback is going to be doing an episode on Cars 2. Don't say that. All right. So I just want to say to get back to the Witches of Eastwick, there's the in his introduction scene. I love how his simple existence and the fact that everyone starts remembering his name creates like waves of horniness that yes. spread through the area. Veronica Cartwright falls down the stairs. I've heard uh, of Pearl who, clutching, but Pearl exploding. The, 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 right. The pearls go everywhere. <laughs> like everything is just suddenly so viscerally sexual that literally like, you know how in crash Sandra Bullock falls down the stairs. Cause she's racist. Like oh. Veronica Cartwright falls down the <laughs> stairs because she's like, cause there's too much horniness. Right. Sandra Bullock has a supernatural level of racism in her body and crash that affects right. the universe around her. It fucks with time and space. <laughs> It's so oh crazy that I have any respect for an act. I have, I love Sandra Bullock in a lot of movies. I have respect for her as an actress. It's crazy considering I've seen Crash. Like I think about that once in a while. So this I is my wildest. All the time. Oh, nonstop. I fell down the stairs. And and to answer your question, Cam, dare I say it? A month from now, we're going to be watching Cars Two. Two months from now, we're going to be watching that scene on a loop. That's the only <laughs> thing that anyone's going to be watching. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, I could see like a good TikTok, you know, developing around Sandra Bullock eating it on the stairs. Here is my absolute. I'm surprised that hasn't become a meme structure yet, actually, that you post like the a bad need take to on Twitter crash. and then the next image is her falling down the stairs. We have to make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> the oh bad take God. and the fall down the stairs. Um, I'm going to throw out what I think is my wildest take on this movie. Oh, I can't wait. But I believe that you will all, within a few seconds of contemplation, agree with me. I think this is George Miller's most naturalistic film. It does like, over Lorenzo's oil, I feel like that's the competitor. Yeah. yeah. Lorenzo's wow. oil, you're forgetting, I mean, that, is, is like is, fucking insane. The entire film I looks know. like it's the a opening crazy. of Raising Arizona. Yeah. You're right, and like they're right, and it has like scenes of Nick Nolte falling down right. the stairs while the camera like zooms in on words in a medical document and things like that. But just it invented like, a beautiful mind, just, yeah. Just, like Ron Howard, yes. I, we we saw what you did, but like his camera movement's no. a lot less extreme in this movie. You know, the yes, lighting yeah. is less like dramatic. Uh, he usually yeah. like everything looks like a fucking Renaissance painting in a George Miller movie. And I even love the production scenes, value. Oh, Don't you love production value? I oh, love seeing that money yes, up do. on screen. This movie oh looks like a paperback romance novel. Like oh, the lighting, yes. like yes. the color yes. of it. Yeah. Every house they're in, like, you know, shares like little log cabin, right? Like everyone has an amazing environment. 
I just think because he's a filmmaker of such like endless imagination and also technical skill that he can sort of pull off bringing anything to the screen. Uh, for a movie that has such insane set pieces, there is a surprising amount of restraint when you compare mm. it to the rest of his filmography in like scenes like the fucking tennis match where Susan Sarandon Incredible plays a cello scene. so hard it catches Incredible on fire. Scene. Like shit that's literally <laughs> out of a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Like in the tennis <laughs> match, there's yeah. a shot where Jack Nicholson has one hand on his hip and the other hand is like casually holding up the tennis racket as he like hits three balls simultaneously. And it feels like a Bugs Bunny image. It feels like an Ain't I a Stinker sight gag. It's a fucking hilarious movie somehow. How do you think most naturalistic film? No, that's what's so wild about his movies. Totally, he's a he's a great director, you guys. I don't know if you know. Well, I haven't seen Happy Feet, so I can't really say. Uh, Skip straight to two. You'll be able to pick up on everything. It's a really easy universe to understand. (laughs) I I gather, yeah, yeah. No songs, right? What? Well, never mind. We'll cover that later. (laughs) Okay. Well, look. No, I I I think I, I I get what you mean, and I agree with you. It is just still so weird to me that he directed this film because he is someone that I think of as actually, well, I mean, okay, it it helps that you have how many Mad Max movies comprising your filmography and then, right, you have four and then you have two babe movies. Yeah. And two happy feet. You have a lot lot of two happy feet, right? You have a lot of repetition. So yes, things like this would stand out. But I mean, the Mad Max films are not, are not gingerbread cut out films no like, right like no, baby no. Each of them are strange and they're radically ways. different yeah. films yeah. he yeah. just reinvents yes. everything with such ease yes yes well babe two should have right. been nominated and, and that's I, just babe two yeah. is possibly his I, second best film it's it's very high on iconic. the list iconic. yeah it is iconic and like lorenzo's oil is the high watermark for 90s oscar bait drama like it's yeah. like that and Philadelphia for There's me nothing are like, like if all like Oscar yeah. Beatty drama was like this, people wouldn't resent Oscar Beatty drama. But if all sex comedies, not that they yeah. really exist anymore, were this good? You could say the same thing about Mad Max with action films and yeah. you could say the same thing with Babe and Happy Feet about children's films. Oh, totally. Like every yeah. time he steps up to the plate and makes a movie, it sort of becomes like, well, if every film in this genre was this inventive yeah. and this thoughtful, then we would be living in a perpetual golden age of cinema. And obviously they won't be because he's, he's an exceptional talent, but if they yeah. even aspired to be, if, if sure. I felt like more films, if I felt like more comedies wanted to be as good as this comedy, which it, it just, it just works as a comedy. It is funny. It is sexy. It is star powered. The scenes are good. The writing's good. The concept's good. It's just like, why can't everything be at least this good? It's also a weird comedy in that so much of the comedy is tone, is like yes. subtlety of performance and individual yes. moments and decisions. It, it's, and it's all these these face-offs. Like, it, right. like after he shows up, it's these one-on-one scenes, one after the other, yeah. that are all sort of like faintly ridiculous. Well, more than faintly ridiculous, like sort of completely ridiculous, but also kind of for real. Yeah. I, love I don't it. know. I, and th- I love it, too. And then we just kind of hard cut to they just all live there. Yeah. And Veronica Cartwright is just having like a horny aneurysm. 
Well, can I say also, I, I think another thing about the comedy in this movie is that uh, almost every scene it feels like is primarily uh, structured for uh, drama. Yeah. And the comedy comes sure. from like sort of what's going on within it. But even when you get into the more hijinksy stuff, it never feels like it's building around comedic rhythms. And even though there's a lot of funny dialogue in this movie, it doesn't have many jokes. Yeah. Like it's right. not a no. movie with punchlines. It's not a movie with no. payoffs that are comedic. The payoffs are more yeah. based in tension or trauma. Yeah. But it, there's just a simmering comedy to everything that's happening. What you're saying is really making me think back to the Bill Murray version because I can see where the punchlines right. would that, be. Right, like, you can see can an see Ivan Reitman, Bill be. Murray version of this movie that Ooh, might be are. very funny. Ivan Reitman, that's shade. But it, but it would be just a very I, conventional I yeah. studio comedy version of this premise. Yeah, and you would have a scene like a cello catching on fire. Yeah, and and for I don't know how. I mean, obviously it's hysterical when that happens in this movie, but also you're like, yeah, that's hot. Like, you know, I, I, it's, it's somehow it's, threads yeah, that but, but needle. It's, not, it's like an overt sexual symbol that works. Right. Which I is say this, a hard yes. thing to do. I say this with no disrespect to the movie I'm about to reference because it's a, a movie that I think is great in its own right. But the Bill Murray version of this movie would at best be nine to five. It would be nine mm. to five with magic. Mm. Right. You know, it would be like, what are the comedic hijinks of them torturing a guy who is so unpleasant that the audience wants to see him right. get it? Yeah, and what this right. movie is, yeah, is, but you kind of want this guy too because he's hot. Yeah, yeah, he's hot. That's the thing. That's the so. Thing let's that talk works. about what's scary about sexuality and our own desires and impulses. Don't you love this? Like, uh, I don't know. I feel like this double feature: Veronica Cartwright, The Birds, and this. And just weird erotic movies. It's like, can we make that her thing? Not that she's really a part of the erotic stuff in in the birds, but an alien. Oh yeah, yeah, she's got that. That's a weird erotic movie. Wound up, yeah, yep. Like just just waiting for something in the movie to be the catalyst to make her just burst. She has one of the best alien. She's the one who's right. Yeah, yeah, she's great at hysteria. Like yeah. she's the one who yeah, reacts the, the most vehemently to the chest bursting scene. And it was partly because the blood got all over her and she, as an actress, did not know that was going to happen. Yeah. But it's also, she's, she's yeah. just great at her dialing it up. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I also think that, um, her scenes, especially the ones just like at home with Jenkins are just like, she, they're like virtuosic in terms of yeah. just like they're like monologues like they're just like pure unbottled mania where she is just like spinning around wheels and Jenkins is just kind of sitting there but it, right. but it's like and, and and what we're getting at I think is like George Miller I mean this is a hard kind of scene to do because this is like a big personality it's like you get the joke you get the difference between the two archetypes you get like you get what her hysteria is doing you get what his yes dearness is doing you get how it fits in the scheme of the movie and and why we need to dwell in her hysteria as a thing because it's witches it's it's salem we get it but it could just as easily not be interesting because you get it like to still have like right. the i mean the cherry vomiting goes on so long it is so god it's so it is fucking so insane excruciating yeah. it's just like George Miller, he just 
these two modes of just perfectly pitched smart comedy, but also when he goes there, he like fucking, right. I mean, the voodoo doll shit, like, it, like he, he just really, yes. he doesn't he, fuck around. He then, he, then he does like the George Miller thing where he's like, all right, let, let's do the weird shit. And he does it perfectly. Can I, can I throw an amazing, amazing fact? Always. They built a life-sized animatronic Veronica Cartwright so that after the shot we see where there's clearly like a tube running through her sleeve and the cherry pits are coming out of that. But her you know, it is very so well done. It's very seamless, yeah. Yes, yes, very well done. They built a full-size animatronic that they could load up with cherries and cherry pits like it was a fucking tennis ball machine and just shoot it incessantly straight out of her mouth and they shot that. It worked and it was so fucking disturbing that audiences were revulsed by it and they cut all the footage out. They were like, it was too effective that it upset people. I need to see this footage. Yeah, me too. Hell yeah. (laughs) I need to see this footage right Mm -hmm. fucking now. I... The fact that like her barfing the cherries is so gross that Richard Jenkins is just like, I have to kill her right now. This is self-defense against grossness. Yeah, exactly. This is just too insane. I just have to take a poker to her head immediately. Right. Which he's like terrible to do and you never lose sight of the fact that he killed his wife and it's terrible. But this movie is so weird yeah. because it's never that right. easy. She's terrible. Yeah, look, look, officer, what can I say? It was yucky. And, and they went fair enough. Case closed. And you know what? She um, hates women. So, you know, she, she hates sexuality. Right. Well, Richard Jenkins is not doing his job. Is it it's not true. very weird to see Richard Jenkins with a little bit of hair on top? Just a oh. just a little like 30% more. Just a little pack. I love him. I love him too. Um he so yes yeah he's right but he's the local newspaper man and he's not really oh god like but on the side note local news and movies god guys like i know but also i love that it's local news right but then also the news is so local that the front page news is like three women live at this guy's (laughs) house like get a load of this Share uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Susan Sarandon. Extra, extra, fucking going on up in that there house. <laughs> anyway, so they all live in the house for a while. I love that they're the tennis scene. I guess is the closest to them out loud saying like, "I guess we have magic powers," but they never actually say it. I love that there's no expositional moment where they're Not like, that, they actively, "We are the witches of East." They Rick. actively yeah. deny it. I mean, they all right. realize we all were wishing for rain at the same time. Isn't that weird? And they're like, it "Can't be. It can't be." Then they start pitching this guy. They form a writers' room. They do like a whole like a week or two pitching on. They their debate his guy. dick size, where one of them's like too big, one of them's right. like really small. So he ends up very in the important, very important thing that happens there. Women talking about dick size in the movie. I'm very proud. Yeah, and that they explicitly talk about the curvature of his dick. I mean, that's like not yes. something yes. you see in a studio comedy that is not like a fucking National Lampoon movie. And that I is not like a joke about it being gross. You know? I appreciate right. that I'm Cher and that Cher really takes me to that conversation. Likes the curve. Yeah. Likes that curve. And even when... She doesn't want to flatten the curve. Even when they make... When they, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, sorry, when they I'm, sorry, make I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The voodoo doll. 
when they make the voodoo doll, it initially has like a, a sort of modest penis, and then they they kind of like well, the, the, you cut to it, and it has a it. huge penis. Needs needs a little. Longer. I love it too. You, you can't lie. Um, He's problematic. But let's not let's not lie. Right. Right. Let's like exactly. Let's let's, let's give him his respect where it's due. But that's the great thing is once he comes to life, once all three of them fall for him, once he fulfills so many of the things that they pitch, they're still like, we're not witches. This just we're lucky. This guy happens to like all three of us at the same time. <laughs> well, to be and, fair, and, and, I mean, right. I mean, real life. Who would think that makes you a witch? It makes you a woman. No men being bad. So I get it. I, I, get, I get why they're slow to connect the dots to some higher power. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. And Feminist. even once they're with him, they're like, they're mostly chilling. And then I guess, what, why, why is it that they, I guess it's because Veronica Cartwright dies. That's where they, they tap out of the whole situation and start ignoring him. And that's when he freaks out and starts like tormenting them. There are just too many uh, undeniable elements at that point. Yeah. Right, One of right, the great right, yeah. men are needy movies mm-hmm. right of all time he immediately flips out he's immediately yeah. like what do you mean you're not gonna hang out with me all the time yeah um a part i really liked was that they shoot the vhs footage and yeah. then use that f- later as like a hit like showing his obsession yeah right yes yeah. yes his big wall of tvs wall of tvs was a very cool prop in the 80s mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah. you know mm-hmm. i got 16 tvs in a grid God, I love that though, right? Yeah. I mean, yes. Don't you love that? Blank check. Blank check. Blank check. I, I mean, I wasn't going to say it because I didn't want to say it, but. <laughs> no, but we got to acknowledge it. It's you also, you got to acknowledge it. Yeah. I like that the film also works in this sort of slut shaming of all the other women in the town around them, that it's not just Veronica Cartwright standing right. in for it, but you have that scene where Sarandon goes to the market and all the women in line keep on making comments about her. So that at the moment that they make the connection to Cartwright's death, they're like, look, already this thing's fucking dinging our reputation. Everyone knows about it. It's front page news. And now this woman puked up cherries. (laughs) Right. I hate small towns in that way. Mm -hmm. Having come from a suburb. Yeah. The feeling of, of, of fucking everybody knows your business. You can't even fuck a dude. Right, and so, especially because totally, Jersey is yeah. so crowded, yeah, it's like you're everyone's all up in everyone's each other's business. Yeah, talking about each other. I can totally relate because I grew up in Greenwich Village, which is just like a little small. Oh, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> it's a, small, it's a village. It's just a little village. Well, David also <laughs> grew up in uh, the city, so right. I guess can't really joke applies to, to both of us. David doesn't right. need to make a different joke. He lived in New York City his entire life. No, until I was nine. Then I moved to London. But what? one thing I want to say, <laughs> as a New Yorker, one thing I want to say that I truly appreciate is that when they decide, they get back together and they're like, okay, let's take him down. Let's make a candle version of him that we torment. Here's how they distract him. They're like, go out and get some bagels and locks. And he <laughs> respects the move. He's like, yeah, yeah that sounds yeah. good right now. Sounds like a bagels, locks and ice cream. So he trots on down the road to go get bagels and locks. And that whole interaction with the guy where the guy doesn't have ice cream. And he's like, well, just give me the bagels and the fish. I like, I love that that's in this movie. It's such a long, 
It's, it's, like it's a long bombs. scene as, as they are about to like torment him and he's going to do a whole fucking heebie jeebie dance in the ice cream store and then turn into a colossal <laughs> demon. But let's make sure there's a full interaction of him getting Gravlox at like the Rhode Island County store. Well, cause you need to know that he has good taste that he went for the Grav. Exactly. Exactly. Just very important food movie. I have to say. Ooh, yes. Cherries. Yeah. Just the food elements. I mean, the cherries, uh, it's not like a positive food representation thing, which is what I'm going for. But, but, but it's, it, I mean, God, you know, Griffin, I can't imagine like not having grown up with the cherry scene, which yeah. and, and the snake scene. Which are two oh, yeah. of the most vivid. That's a lot of snakes. You want to hear a two killer of the burn? Most vivid things of my childhood. A, a killer burn, uh, uh, according to the IMDb trivia page, uh, which I'm consulting a lot in this episode because there's just a lot of good stuff for this one. Um, when they were shooting the scene with the snakes and Cher was preparing to get into bed, she said, Which one of these is John Peters? Hey. <laughs> and to that, I want to. Offer share a very belated five comedy points. I I, oh, I, I I appreciate that while she's getting ready to get in a bed full of snakes, she's like, I have a zinger I could pop off. <laughs> Let right me now. just throw out a quick yuck. <laughs> Wait, and this was the same year as Moonstruck? Yeah, that's nuts. Same year as Moonstruck. Icon. Iconic. Like, I, like truly genuinely iconic. Genuinely great performance. <laughs> And she's so wonderful in this. And then Moonstruck is a whole other thing. And she's obviously incredible. And I just want to circle back to they offer her the remaining role in this film. She goes, nah, I'd rather have that part. They said that part's already taken. And she went, no, I think I'm going to play that part. (laughs) And they just swapped parts. Yeah. They didn't even tell Sarandon. And she beat, I mean, the people she beat for the Oscar that year, she beat Glenn Close for Fatal Attraction and Holly Hunter wow. for Broadcast News. Two of wow. the most iconic performances of the 80s. Yes. And you can't really argue with it. Like, it's not a thing where you're like, well, that's unfair. Those, I mean, there's Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction is one of the most oh, definitive, man. like, movie star actress performances of that decade. I was going to argue, there's a case to be made that those are the top three most iconic and enduring performances from leading actresses in the 80s. Right. Let's I mean, do it. They're, they're in the five. Broadcast news, fatal attraction, Moonstruck. Like, that's, there's a valid argument to be made that in studio filmmaking in the 80s, no three leading actress performances have endured more and had a greater impact. And they were this in the is, same goddamn year. This is why you... I want to see the tallies of the votes. <sighs> How close? Yeah, break that down. Right. The answer is yeah. Well, Glenn. what if there was a wife? <laughs> David, that's too big of a question to introduce this into the episode. <laughs> we don't what have time to answer. We don't wife. have. All right. What if there was a woman? Well, so. They destroy Jack Nicholson by smashing up the movie I love that we're like doll. going through the plot. <laughs> I know. I, I'm just wrapping it up. No, I it's kind of no. cute that we're even bothering it. to go through the plot. You know, I, I just, I just it. like that he does turn into a giant monster for one second, just because George Miller's like, "What? Well, he's not gonna not." I mean, come on. Those effects well, are so goddamn impressive, though. Both like they the are. animatronic, whatever that model is that they made. 
looks so amazing, moves so well. Yeah. They have two different models. There's the little baby preemie one and the giant monster one. But they're oh, also the baby. They the are baby is crazy. so well. And like I, I love both of these movies, but you compare this to like the big creature, the big demon at the end of Evil Dead 2, which is the same year as this. You compare this to the sandworms and Beetlejuice the following year, and neither of those look like they're integrated into the same space. And when that fucking thing appears out their window, I went, I don't understand how they fucking made this. Well, it's Jack Nicholson. Oh, he yeah. was just on one that day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird how it looks like him. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a weird Yeah, that, those are visual <laughs> effects. <laughs> They're really unnerving looking. Yeah. So George was like, yeah. <laughs> Jack, you got to um, be a demon today. And he's like, wow. yeah, sure. The, whatever. Like, you know. What was the, what was the other one you said? It was Evil Dead Two, and what what and was the other comparison? The sandworms and Beetlejuice were after this. Yeah, wow. yeah, that's what the year and I after. think the, both of those movies are embracing a sort of artificiality, yeah. and um, and they're more yes. sort of expressionistic in what they're doing. But in this, it's just like even just from a compositing level, it yeah. really looks like they're occupying the same space. And so often movies yeah, like does. this, where there's a giant creature. In the 80s, you constantly have that like green screen halo around them where they look collaged onto the image. And in this, I was like, is there just a 30 foot robot outside the set? Well, it's George Miller, you know. It's George Miller. It might have been. It might have just been fucking huge for one shot. And then, and then, of course, he turns into a baby and then goes like, ding, which is a. But then I just like to imagine like people at their like local multiplex seeing this movie that like that we cut to 18 months later. They all have devil babies with their own hair colors. And Jack Nicholson's on the big TV being like, give daddy a kiss. And they turn it off and it's like, roll credits. Get out of here. We got to clean the theater. Like, are people just leaving being like, oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> huge hit. Like, huge fucking hit. Huge hit. Must have. Huge hit. Like, it, people how are they just not walking out of there satisfied. being like, are you what crazy? You yeah. I agree. I agree. Here's the thing. I mean, it's a sad question. Uh-huh. But remember sex at the movies? Hollywood having it or watching it? Like, no, in Hollywood, Hollywood having movie. sex in its movies? Sure. Yeah, with a sexual energy. <sighs> with yeah. a real <sighs> Only slightly. Energy. I, I got really close to answering at the theater. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. You have no trouble remembering that. <laughs> Fred Willard well, over look, here. I, I'm sitting in my bedroom. I'm not allowed to go to theater. So even that's, like, evaporated. But I this mean, is damn. Right. I know this is another crazy thing uh, because uh, none of us have read the novel fully uh, and three of us have not read the novel at all. Um, <laughs> I have five pages. I just want to I, No, clear. impressive. I mean, you have a five page lead on the rest of us. You're way ahead of the pack. Um, but according to Wikipedia, it says uh, uh, at the end of the film or at, at, towards the end of the book, I'm just going to quote here. Daryl unexpectedly marries a young, innocent girl named Jenny and the jealous three witches magically cause her to die of cancer. None of the three witches get pregnant Uh. at the end. And Daryl flees town with Jenny's younger brother, Chris, apparently his lover. So like the ending of this film is totally invented. The pregnancies are invented. The sort of lingering like, look, he's still at large. He's trying to get through to his kids. He's sort of seeded the earth with his progeny. Like, all of that is just fucking Hollywood. 
Ben, what you're hearing is the people clapping for the healthcare workers at seven o'clock. This will hopefully Uh, be a nice moment for people listening to this podcast that we're capturing the sound of me living too close to hospitals. Yeah, because Griff Griff lives yeah in sort of a hospitaly area. I I I can admit now I try not to list like too much about where I live, you know, just for personal privacy. I do live in a wing of Mount Sinai, which has been a (laughs) little. I have to be a little scary recently. Wow. Oh, boy. Um, let's play Rare the box up. office game. Man. Um, so this movie came out. Too? It, Pretty good. I think the reviews were said? good. Ebert gave it three out of four. The he thing gave I found more stars than he gave, which is a piece of He loved. He said uh, the movie. Everyone had the same takeaway, which is like, this is superlative three Hollywood filmmaking. It's like a perfect uh, uh, star vehicle. It's funny. It's sexy. Everyone says the last 20 minutes, it just devolved into too much special effects, which is a sure, crazy they, they, thing to think about now. Right. Where the last like 20, the effect. last 40 minutes of every movie now is 18 characters fighting a hole in the sky. <laughs> Whereas like the, the big special effect is actually Jack Nicholson. Like, yeah. I mean, especially, you know, when he's like flinging himself around yeah. and like pretty limited yeah. makeup. And here's I want to read this from Ebert. There's a scene where Nicholson dresses in satin pajamas and sprawls full length on a bed, twisting and stretching sinuously in full enjoyment of his sensuality. It's one of the funniest moments of physical humor he has ever committed. Like Ebert was all in on Nicholson in this movie. This is the other great line in Ebert's review. Uh, A lot of the time this movie plays like a plausible story about implausible people. Yeah. It, that's, that's a great take yeah but there is there's that weird plausibility i mean i yeah. and it's it's why i think in a certain way this movie is a little more toned down than most of miller's films because he understands he's dealing with a very very wild starting point in terms of the material right. what the audience is going to have to buy into but he's a smart enough filmmaker to go like i got to play against some of my overcranked tendencies as a filmmaker because we're already at a 10 do we know what Updike thought of the movie? No idea. Good question, actually. I have no idea. It's weird anymore. that it like never occurred to me until now to wonder. It is also fucking weird that this movie inspires three different TV adaptations. The first two are pilots that never went. The third one ran for a season. Also turns into a musical that played in multiple different major markets. And then in 2008, John Updike's final novel before dying is a very belated sequel to this, which I have never heard anyone talk about called The Widows of Eastwick. No, I'd never heard of it until you, you mentioned it today. Wild. Miller Fucking should wild. do it. Get Michelle, Susan, and Cher. Michelle, Susan, and Sarah, Cher are yeah. all available. Get them in. Miller loves to do a sequel. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. All right, so here's... I'm in, but where can we go from here? I, like, I, I don't know. You're right. How do how do we top I mean, this? He, how do we top? He this? is the king of topping things, though. Like that is his. Oh, vibe. I love that. Very suggestive. Um, My kind of joke. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I I agree. And he can top anything he wants. I'm I'm looking here at the Wikipedia to try to like summarize what the plot of the Widows of Eastwick is. No, you I, can't. I, I can't don't do bother it. because you it's so involved. It. It's I can't. I try. Yes, it's I nonsense. Do. It's nonsense. Yeah. 
And it, it, it involves that Jenny character a lot, so it doesn't really I'm, matter. I'm only going to um, read the final ro- line of the Wikipedia entry, okay? Yeah. Okay. The novel ends with the two women happily making plans to meet up for another vacation. Oh, that's, sounds, so that sounds like a great ending. Yeah, great ending. June, June 12th, 1987, this film opens to $9 million, but it's number two. Middle of the summer. Griffin. Once again, one of it was the a summer, 10 highest a grossing summer films of its year. So, did the pop culture witch thing, like, I'm, I'm like specifically the strain that includes the craft, practical magic, etc., is that right. because of this? What, Maybe. Like, what's be, what's before this? Maybe a little I think, bit. I think the witches is more directly because of this, because the witches is. 1990 and is uh, right. in a sort of similar vibe to this. Yeah. Well, but, but the witches doesn't have, like, I guess I mean like the, like the women's ensemble, witch movie. Yeah. Like the, where the witches aren't. The coven I mean, movie. The witches You're talking like, about a coven, a coven movie. A good coven movie. Yes. A good, a I good feel coven like, movie, yeah, but I, with like Nicole Kidman, like characters. Yeah. I can I only feel think like of one is... coven movie with Nicole Kidman in it, but yeah. I mean, but that's what I mean, right? She belongs yeah. in a coven movie. Yes. Alongside Susan Sarandon and Michelle Pfeiffer and all that. Hocus Pocus, uh, craft, practical magic. Those are those are sort of their own '90s little connection. But I feel like I mean, practical magic obviously owns so much. Yeah, practical magic. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Griffin, what was number one at the box office June twelfth, nineteen eighty seven? RoboCop comes out in August, right? It's it's like. It's yeah, it's not RoboCop, but it's like that. It is a sort of sci-fi action franchise starter. It's a franchise starter. They're kicking it off. Yeah, they're kicking it off. It opens <sighs> to twelve million dollars. It's got a big star. Is it the Terminator? No, eighty-seven. Terminator's eighty-six. You know, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. Actor. Right actor. It's an Arnold franchise starter. Yeah. Why am I not? thinking of this oh it's predator it's predator it's the movie it's predator. predator it's the movie predator um which he is not in any other predator movies but he was in the start but predator grossed less than the witches of eastwick uh yeah, like pretty well. total you know yeah. witches of eastwick sounds, had a longer tail yeah sounds about right Predator, um, predator is such a weird franchise because you go from predator to predator 2 then big gap and it's like the oh, this is what Predator Three should have been. Predators, then another gap. Then the, this is what Predator Three should have been. The Predator, and then in between you have Alien versus Predator, Alien versus Predator Requiem, and Hanson versus Predator. I I, I took that walk just for that one fucking joke. I'm boy, sorry. Boy. I'm sorry. All right. Number two is Eastwick. <laughs> Number three is. Um, one of the big movies of the year, uh, an action comedy sequel. It's not Lethal Weapon 2. No. Huh. It's not Beverly Hills Cup 2, or it is? It is. That's what it oh, is. Oh, yeah. Great so, movie. Tony Scott. Never seen it. Only seen the first one. You got rules. Oh, I'm a breast man. <laughs> well, but Tony's pretty good. Tony, come on. Yep. You Come on. You can... Uh, I don't know. I can't do a pun with his name. All Maybe right. I'm a bit of a Number Scotsman, four. too. Yeah, sure. There you go. Number four is a movie we talked about on this episode. Uh, big auteur director, sort of uh, 
trashy fun movie at the time now feels like an austere freaking prestige drama. Untouchables. Yeah. Now, number five is the one that I have never heard of. So I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah. Okay. All right. John, Sli- John Schleisinger. Jesus. J.D. Amato just tried to FaceTime both of us while we're recording. If if you're hearing a notification. And and for the listener at home, David just texted J.D. the word no. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Something that definitely will not make J.D. stress out. Okay. So it's a John Schlesinger film that you had not heard yes. of. Never heard of it. I, I mean, he must have been. No, he had more movies. Yeah. Uh Who's that? Martin it? Sheen is the star. Martin Sheen, Martin Robert Sheen? Loja. What? I there's no way Jimmy I Jimmy Smith is in this right? movie. It's, a it's like a, it's like it's a oh boy. It's uh it's like a it's also a witchy movie. It's like a, a New York City cop murder movie, but there's there's witchiness. What? <laughs> What is what? We're never get. We're never gonna get. I mean, unless you want to do what, like we fuck is he charade style. You try He's to get a, us to guess the title word by He's word. Lying. It's it's written by Mark Frost, who of course would then go on to co-create. You're Twitter. fucking He's, lying. What are you talking this about? Didn't, this never thing? happened. Um, and I believe it. It is new this week, so it was not a big hit. David, this is a Pro Smiths No Bits podcast, and right now you are betraying that rule because you're doing a bit about okay. Smiths. This movie doesn't exist. The movie is called The Believers. No, it's not. I'm, well, I'm checking uh, okay. on this. I'm, I refuse I'm to believe it. It's a neo-noir horror film directed by John Slicinger and uh, based on the novel The Religion by Nicholas Conde. Well, oh, based on the novel The Religion by Nicholas Conde. Oh. It's Martin Sheen. I've got to see this. It's like a satanic cop movie with like voodoo curses and Jeez. shit. Jeez. Cool. Are you Sounds kidding me? Sounds kind of good. I'm renting it right now. Apparently, it got bad reviews, but I don't know. Sounds kind of good. The movie was critics. The the book. Oh, definitely. I I've never agreed with that more. Damn, one point five from Ebert. Uh, the the book was about which I like Judeo Christian Satan, and for the movie they changed it to an Afro Caribbean Satan, which sounds uh really really thoughtful. Uh, some other movies you have Harry and the Hendersons you have Ernest Goes to Camp Mm, that was in theaters a movie that we'll never talk Um, about on this podcast right you have Platoon uh, which is still in um, theaters uh, from the previous year yeah 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 and uh, you have have the secret of my success yeah Vietnam man Uh, that's it that's it we're done we're done talking about the Witches of Eastwick, a, a horny masterpiece. Witches so we got to wrap it up, girl. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts, Cam? Well, I'm really excited for the Babe 2 episode, I have to say. I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to say this. I'm going to, because I want to warn people in advance. Okay. We've got yeah. a great guest on the episode. I think people will be yeah. happy that they are on the podcast finally. Long overdue. Friend of the show. IRL friend of ours, they turned out to not be a Pig in the City fan. Uh, uh, so the episode uh, 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 is, uh, 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 I wouldn't uh, say it's contentious. A little contentious. A little contentious. <gasps> so they hadn't seen it before. Which I did not know because they so immediately asked if they could cover the film. And then they said they started watching it and realized they were wrong. They had not seen it. So um, what do they think they'd seen? 
I guess they just watched babe. the first babe two times. But uh, uh, it, that's a good question because there is no movie like Babe Big in the City in the history no of the film dark. Huh, let me think about that. Is they there watched Babe. <laughs> they watched Babe and then they had a fever dream, and that's what they're remembering. Yeah. Huh. Right. They, God. Babe um, 2 is such a good stoner movie. Uh, yeah. Do you know stoner who, classic. Do you know From who loves Babe 2? Yes. Who? Uh, Tom Waits, which makes Ugh. so much goddamn sense because <laughs> Babe Pig in the Sea is the closest anyone has come to making a Tom Waits song visually. Yeah. Do you think that David Lynch has seen it? Unquestionably. I sure hope he has. I, David Lynch I has probably has jerked seen. off to Babe Pig in the Sea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I literally, I don't know what to say. Um, for, for the listener at home... <laughs> uh, Cam is speechless but also uh, the attic in which Ben is recording the sun has set there is yeah. just but one light in a corner not above him but underneath him and there him. wasn't initially initially it was just dark Ben turned the I light know. on it, it well, now it now looks like he is in Night of the Hunter. It is like, <laughs> no, yeah, uh, or the that he's fucking Jane Eyre, you know, he's the goddamn lady in the attic. He's got the blanket over him. I, it's some Mrs. Haversham shit. I'm going to take a photo of this. I got to find a way to screen grab this. It, well, there's no lights up here, apparently. So this is the best I could do. So who's attic? Is it? Should we say help? I fled New what? York, uh, and I'm in New Hampshire, and they are like weird up here, and like don't believe in heat. <laughs> it's cold up there. I don't yeah. know if they know that. It's crazy. But I, I screenshotted know, I it, that. Griffin. I'll send it to you. Um, that's quite all right. Uh, Cam, thank you for joining us. It's so nice to talk to you and see your face in this quarantine. I know. Time. It's weird, right? How yeah. so weird? Like, yeah. But you know what? It's fine because we have witches of Eastwick and other shit to rewatch. It's, what, it's what's keeping me going. Uh, can I just say, Cam? In the last uh, year and change since you have been on the podcast, yes. our Batman episode, which I guess was a little over a year ago now, um, you have written several pieces. That made me uh, angry uh, oh, w- with with how good they were. And that I mean, where I just I, I my anger uh, dissipated quickly, but where it felt like you found a way to perfectly uh, sort of capture something in the air that seemed impossible to verbalize your piece on uh, retired bit. And how it relates to the Scorsese movies that it's talking about homaging. Joker. No, I'm not. I'm talking about retired bits. <laughs> all, right, all right, all right, all right. We that retired one, the, the that bit. one in particular. Thank, thank you for translating. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, it, I, it, I'm just saying to our listeners at home, uh, go to Vanity Fair, click that hyperlink, Chaos and Collins, and look at everything you've written in the last year because it's all been goddamn gold. Well, thank you. I, you know, I'm I'm just hoping that in quarantine, when I can't go outside and think, <laughs> I can still write. It's been hard uh, to like yeah. write. It's been really. It's, it's it, been like, very hard to concentrate. I can't. Yeah. Um. It's been hard. 
But it's weird. You know, this is like one of the movies, I have to say, movies right now have not been good distractions for me. They haven't been distracting me. But for watching parts of this was actually pretty diverting. It might be because I've seen it a million times, but I think George Miller is just like, just a perfect, uh, like just your ideal mainstream director, smart, alert, and and diverse, and and repeats himself. Like I guess in the sense of making sequels, but but but, but it never but feels like he does. It just never. Yeah, he just really a gem. I mean, this is this take that we've been developing over this miniseries that George Miller is kind of unquestionably the king of sequels. Wait, what one? can when he was the jury president oh that's a good that that would be something that i'd hold against someone actually can you pull that up yeah yeah i'm pulling it up Um, but i think to your point about george miller movies being oh uh, he he picked um they picked i daniel blake that's one of the ken loach years weird not my favorite ken loach no although not not a bad movie Uh, uh, i still love george yeah, no, you know, Kess yeah, is sure, great. Sure. So you chose a movie by the guy who did Kess. When that shit, right? I also think. I mean, Griffin, you've said this, but I think it's true. It's like they often gravitate towards movies they could never make, like it, like Tim Burton picking um, Uncle, Uncle Boone Boone me, me or Steven Spielberg yeah. picking um, Blue is the warmest you know, color. Blue is the warmest color, right? Yeah. Where they're no, like, sure. damn, how? Oh, damn! Like, think- so George Miller picking like an incredibly austere yeah. work of social realism right. with no like, even though you know, embellishment. The city is is the more politically convincing film, in my right. opinion. But, but but I would agree with that. But, but we're moving the word austere. That's the, that's the differentiating factor. No, and 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 I think well, Lucretia like Mattel being like, taking wait. retired bit. I mean, like it's all. I I think it's usually a filmmaker going. That's not in my vocabulary. I wouldn't even know right. how to start with that thing. That right. one, that last one, though, man. I mean, you have to admit it's it's a pretty good bit that she gave that the golden line. It's a better troll than appeared in the movie. Yes, like absolutely. that was a yes. better troll. It is than, more provocative, right. genuinely, than the film. I mean, she went off. She yeah. was like, she went off. Fuck Marriage Story. Yeah. Fuck Ad Astra. Yeah. Irishman's not even mm-hmm. fucking here. Yeah. So fuck him. It's pretty wild. Um, no, I love it. You know what? Zama, go see it. Dominant rules, um, but but uh, I, I don't know. I, I why not end here because this is a thought that just sort of came to me. Uh, we we recorded most of these episodes uh, before the world went into lockdown. This is one of only three that we're doing uh, post lockdown over uh, Zoom. But our listeners will probably be watching these movies along with the episode releases while they're stuck at home. And this is not anything we could have anticipated or predicted, but even though a lot of these films are very apocalyptic and nightmarish, the Mad Max franchise in particular, and Lorenzo's Oil is a movie about like the fascinating terror of not understanding uh, yeah. diseases and bodies and medicine and science and all that sort of stuff. Um, these films are weirdly easy to watch in a time where it is hard to stay focused on anything. And I think it is because George Miller has never made a film that is a passive watch. His films are so sort of operatic or using every single tool of filmmaking in one way or another that you, you have to fully submit yourself to it. If you're, if you put it on, you're going to be fully engaged by it, whether or not you love it. And I'd say it's hard not to love. Yeah. 
Uh, well, Cam, Agreed. thank you for being on the show. People should yeah. listen to Flashback. Yeah. yeah, Flashback on Slate Plus. You and the great um, Dan Stevens, past and future guest. Yes. Um, and thank you for being here, Cam. And thank you all for listening. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks to Anne Farragutta for co-producing this show. Leigh Montgomery for our theme song. Joe Bone, Pat Rounds for artwork. Go to blankzaret.com for some real nerdy shit. Go to patreon.com backslash blank check for blank check special features where we will still be on the Toy Story commentaries where I am sure I behave in a very, very serious and sophisticated manner. Uh, And as always, life or something like it, Laura Croft Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life, Beyond Borders, Taking Lives, Shark Tale, Sky Captain, The World of Tomorrow, Alexander, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, The Good Shepherd, A Mighty Heart, I've been waiting all episode to finish off this list, Beowulf, Kung Fu Panda, Wanted, Changeling, Salt, The Tourist, Kung Fu Panda 2, she doesn't do another movie until fucking Maleficent, By the Sea, Kung Fu Panda 3, Maleficent Mistress of Evil.